Hello and welcome to Rise of RevOps. This episode features an interview with Volney Spalding, Vice President of Revenue Operations at Templify. Templify is the next-gen document generation platform that automates all business document creation across organizations to activate and protect brands. In his role, Volney drives operations across go-to-market channels to ensure growth and success across Templify. With more than 20 years of experience in the SaaS industry, he's gained extensive knowledge across sales strategy, operations, and enablement, working with organizations such as Salesforce, SAP, Invoca, and more. In this episode, we talk to Volney about creating an even playing field across your go-to-market teams, the blocking and tackling of selling, and enhancing your sales velocity. But first, a brief word from our sponsor. Rise of RevOps is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified's Pipeline Cloud is the future of pipeline generation for revenue teams that use Salesforce. Learn more about the Pipeline Cloud on qualified.com. And now please enjoy this interview with Volney Spalding, Vice President of Revenue Operations at Templify, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Rise of RevOps. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today we are joined by a special guest, Bolney, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Excited to have you on the show, excited to chat RevOps, excited to chat about Templify and everything in between. So let's get into our Rev opening. How did you get started in RevOps? The whole first half of my career, actually two-thirds, I spent in sales enablement, actually, a long time ago. But I, I was fortunate to get to join Salesforce.com about 12 years ago and saw that CRM and the system administration around CRM was becoming a huge thing. And I think even back then, none of us really saw how far sales ops was going to go, much less the idea of rev ops and focusing on all the go-to-market channels. So I made the transition into sales ops at the time. And I loved it because back in the sales enablement days of the time, it was really mostly known as sales training. And there wasn't a lot of strategy involved. There was a lot of just responding to what was believed to be needed in the organization and go off and try to do it. The great thing about morphing into sales ops and now rev ops is that in a rev ops role, you have the opportunity to do the analysis and find what some of the productivity challenges are. And then if you have a uh, enablement background, you actually have the ability to go drive the needed change through the organization and do the assessment and the analysis as well as provide the remedy all from the same focus area. Yeah. And what's your definition of rev ops? I've been doing this a while. And when I think about it, let's just go back 20 years. Rev ops was a finance person who was good at territories and sales compensation. That's pretty much what RevOps was. It was a finance role. Then CRM came along and the whole idea of being system administration for your CRM environment morphed into sales ops. And it was all about keeping the lights on and making the sales systems work. And that was all great. But as the tech stack grew and got more sophisticated, it became not being just keeping the lights on. Those are table stakes. you got to do that. But because you have access to all the data and all the reporting and all the analysis, the role has morphed into making sure that all the go-to-market channels are operating smoothly and fluidly, and so that we can derive insights out of all the data across all the go-to-market functions so that you can do all your growth planning and make recommendations to the executive team about where to make their investments and what changes to make on a yearly basis. So it's gone from keeping the lights on to literally 
being the true north of the guidance to the organization. And tell us about your role at Templify. I'm excited about being a RevOps professional, and I'm super excited about being at Templify. What we do, if people aren't aware, is we're the next end document generation platform. We make it so that people with knowledge don't have to struggle with how to build the presentation decks and simply focus their knowledge, and the decks pretty much build themselves. And I know that sounds a little bit nirvana, but it's not too far from the truth. So it's an exciting opportunity at a company that has a chance to really transform how enterprises message and communicate. I was asked to come to Templify to lead the RevOps function, which was exciting to me because there was already a lot of folks on the ground doing really excellent work. And what they needed was somebody with a little bit longer term vision, somebody who'd seen the movies before and could look around corners and help lead the function to providing more of insightful guidance to the executive team. Yeah. And obviously, this is something that feels like table stakes for a startup of Templify's size now, right? And that didn't used to be the case. But now it is if you want to create a high-performing machine. Absolutely. I think a lot of startups, you know, they wanted to be the lean startup and they didn't want to overinvest in support resources. And they wanted sales to go out and make stuff happen. And eventually, the support would follow along behind it. But I think a lot of SaaS companies have realized how important it is to have an operational machine supporting the sales effort because consistency across the team, access to data and insights, as well as as much as we try to maybe hold back on the proliferation of the tools and the tech stack, it's just so important to have people there with some experience that can build with a strategy as opposed to simply responding to requests in the organization without really knowing what direction to take the entire thing. So I'm excited to see that companies are investing more in ops earlier and are willing to aim at more experienced and frankly, more expensive resources. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to use a a simple example, back a handful of years ago, the growth at all costs sort of start up and you just, you know, expand to 100 salespeople uh, you're like, we invested heavily in sales and, you know, we'll do the RevOps stuff later. And they're all 2% less productive because you never had the you know sales ops function. And it's like, imagine if that whole time you had a machine that was actually being optimized rather than just sort of, you know, being run that way. And it's so obvious in retrospect, but, but I don't think we really thought that way five, 10 years ago. Well, and also there's a transition point. Let's say you're in between zero and 10 million in ARR. Yeah. If you're thoughtful... You probably think, wow, once we're hiring more than one or two people a month, we need some sales enablement. And so what do we do? We go find maybe a great SDR, somebody who's really passionate and likes helping people that wants to transition into sales enablement. And the trouble is the job can quickly get bigger than that person can actually bring. Same thing happens on the system side. Sometimes salespeople or SDRs realize that the systems are pretty cool and they'd like to kind of, they volunteer to go do it. And someone says, sure. And the next thing you know, you have people very early in their careers responsible for your system environment and your enablement. And it's a, it can be a great thing, but there is a transition point probably around 10 million in ARR where you have to think more seriously about the experience you have in those roles. Tell me about your RevOps team. How do you organize it? How do you like to organize RevOps teams and how have you done it in the past? 
Yeah. And I have to admit, I've changed a little bit. Originally, my bias was all around sales. And sales ops function was always very focused on everything having to do with the sales machine. So it always got the preference and always got, even though marketing and marketing ops is certainly important, it's the gas that fuels the engine and sales is the, the car that, that converts all that gas into energy and revenue. And so I was always very biased about reporting to sales because I wanted to be dynamic and I wanted to have a great relationship with the sales leader. At Templify, it's different. We report into the uh, finance organization and I have actually found it to allow me to be more even-handed and more like Switzerland than I found (laughs) when I was reporting to sales. In fact, when I was reporting to sales, the relationship with finance could sometimes seem like you know, natural enemies. But the reality is, if you do things well, then it could be a real productive relationship. So we report to finance, but we still do, as you might expect, we've still got a lot of focus on the marketing ops side and also on the CS ops. So in terms of how we're organized on the team, it doesn't really matter where we report. We have really strong relationships with each of the go-to-market functions, and we work really hard to make sure that they collaborate smoothly. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, why we've seen this function even be spun out in its own thing entirely, and to not report to sales, marketing, or customer success, and to just be its own thing, because... And we've seen it, we've t- talked to a number of leaders that that view it that way of like, it's its own function entirely, or reporting into the COO, or however you think about ops, because it is holistic lifestyle life cycle revenue now. And especially like as times change and different things matter, retention matters more than ever in this exact moment, rather than net new logos and things like that. Those are the sort of things where if you have a RevOps team reporting to sales or reporting under marketing, or you have functional leaders within all of those, but it's not have that one view, then it gets really siloed and then you can't pivot the organization at all. No, it's absolutely true. I think a lot of organizations have a hybrid situation where they might own the sales stack, but not necessarily own the marketing stack or the CS stack. In our case, it's it's two thirds, not all three of them. But what's important is not so much the reporting relationships. There's got to be somebody driving a go-to-market meeting of some a meeting of the minds and a regular communication. And I think that easily falls in the lap of the sales ops or the rev ops leader so that we can balance the the requirement on the marketing side to build quality pipe and the requirement on the sales side to execute well against that pipe. As long as things are going well, it's really not a difficult job. But in most companies that are growing, these, there's challenges. And so what I think is essential, regardless of how you're organized, is you create that environment, that that playing field for all the functions to collaborate and talk. And as long as there's a, a, an interest in growth and learning and fixing problems instead of pointing fingers, you've, you get what you need. It might be easier if they all reported to the same place, but it isn't, in my mind, essential today. Anything else that's unique about your RevOps org? Yeah, you know, I'm blessed to have a strong analytics team. We have several people whose focus is to gain the insights out of the system. And as a result, we are able to do deep analysis with the all the go-to-market functions and provide them with that insight and also make recommended solutions. So instead of reporting the news, we're sort of writing the news. What I'm most proud of is that because our analytic function is so mature, there's really nobody in the organization who challenges the quality of our data. So that when we go to meetings, 
no one ever argues about is the data right and whose data is better. We're simply able to bring the challenges or the gaps that we see and talk about recommended solutions. And my team is seen as leaders in this area. And it's great because it's what really we're here to do. And usually we spend so much time just trying to keep the lights on that it's hard to be strategic or proactive. I know you've been in the role for a little while now, but I'm curious to that those first six months, any lessons or experience that you had in the first six months that led to some particular lessons learned? Yeah, sure. If you've done similar sized companies for a while, you see common things and you take certain things for granted. I think I took data hygiene, Salesforce hygiene a little bit for granted when I got there and realized we have a lot of work to do to get basic things so that we can analyze our pipe and particularly our forecast. Also, certain practices around order management just aren't necessarily universal. <laughs> so some things that I thought were basic and just always in play needed to be built. The great thing, though, is everybody that I talked to, especially when I was being recruited, said, please come in and challenge us. We know that we need the expertise of somebody who's been doing this a while and has seen the movie before. Please challenge what we're doing. And I have found that the company is very good at reacting to recommendations to improve process and quality and overall growth. We've done a lot of work to improve the data hygiene and we're making progress there. And certainly our forecast is when we first started, there was maybe seven or eight different managers and literally seven or eight different ways of talking about forecast when I arrived. And we now have an alignment and a standard methodology and it works remarkably better, <laughs> if I could say that. All right, let's get into our next segment, Rev Obstacles. Obstacle, obstacle. An obstacle to what? There's your obstacle! Where we talk about the tough parts of RevOps. Any specific problem that you've faced in the last six months? Yeah, I think a lot of companies are facing similar headwinds and in terms of check, getting new customers. And as a result, the emphasis on pipeline is tremendous. And so what we struggled with was, first of all, making sure that our ICP was accurate, that we had a well-defined ICP and we were able to target it. We put a lot of energy into that. And we accomplished that and felt pretty good about it. And then we realized we're so spread across different industries and verticals that we're not able to develop a lot of domain expertise inside the company. So we did a ton of analysis to figure out where are we most effective? Where do we have the shortest sales cycles? Where do we have the biggest return and the biggest net retention? We did rigorous analysis in that area and pivoted the organization from the territories, the talk tracks, the messaging, the personas that we focus on, the enablement. We did a lot to make a pivot and it seemed like it wouldn't be that hard at first, but it turned out to be actually pretty hard. We made that change so that we could make sure that the you know pipeline is so incredibly valuable in times like this and challenging economic times. You can't afford to clear cut. You have to make sure that you make the most of the pipeline that you have. So I think we did a lot to improve our focus in that area. The other thing that we discovered was we just had, maybe this was part of the previous problem, but we had very high loss rates, close loss rates in our earliest sales stages. And my perception was we had a lot of variability in how we handled those initial conversations and how the SDRs did hand off to the AEs and how the initial discovery was going. So rather than focus on sales execution and med pick and all the things that we do mid-sales cycle and negotiating, we focused really hard on that early stage sales process so that we could define it very clearly, 
have very, very well-established exit criteria for each of those early stage one, stage two situations so that we can start measuring what's working and what's not working. The first thing that you mentioned almost sounded more like a marketing or a positioning problem than you would say is a RevOps problem. Very strategic conversation, right? Yeah, well, it's a RevOps problem if there's not enough pipe because our job is to drive not only quality pipe, but sales execution against that pipe. Sure. When you have high quality pipe, and enough of it, and you've got great sales execution, your job is pretty easy. All you do is go hire more salespeople and spend more on marketing. But it's never that easy, right? We did have to look at where's the focus. And because we can collaborate closely with marketing, it wasn't about finger pointing. It was about saying, how do we get more focus? And how do we get, how do we narrow the comp, how challenging this issue is? Because we're an emerging enterprise product. A lot of companies don't know they need something like like Templify yet. For sure. Imagine I've managed sales kickoffs my whole career. I have had times where I've had 50 product managers building content for 30 breakout sessions or more. How hard is it to get even product managers who are good content people, how hard is it to, to get them all to align around a single template in a way that's smooth and easy for the entire organization? Imagine if you're responsible for all that content and how easy it would be to ensure that all the content came together with the same template, with the same imagery, everything that you try to accomplish manually when you don't have a tool like this. Any other rev obstacles that you've uh, you faced? Well, I addressed forecast, certainly. We're fortunate in that we don't have a lot of competitors. So we don't get deals all the way down to the finish line and then lose them to a competitor that outsells us. The main thing we need to do is get a lot better at our sales execution. The changes I talked about at the early part of the sales cycle the precision and the consistency in stages one and two, we need to now extend that deeper into the sales cycle so that all the reps are doing deeper discovery, making the business case, finding the economic buyer and making sure that we've got a compelling business case that we're attaching to the largest problems in the organization and getting more than one person to care. And of course, operating with a good mutual plan that is an actual working document. Those are all things that we need to do more consistently. And so I'm going to put a lot of focus this year in in making sure that we have that level of sophistication in our sales methodology. The other thing is we've been good at sales and marketing, but unfortunately our customer organization hasn't had the benefit of all the analysis and data mining that we've done to the other teams. So we're going to put a major focus into that this year as well. We are fortunate. Not only do we not tend to lose deals to a competitor late in the sales cycle, but our product's very sticky. So right now, the growth that we're experiencing is from our customer organization. And so we need to double down to make sure that they're getting as much support as the uh, as the new logo team and the marketing teams have had in the past. Cool. Do you have a, a RevOops moment uh, or a mistake that you made? Not at this company, no. <laughs> I've been here just about a year. So far, we haven't made any big mistakes. We haven't stopped sales. We haven't done anything to throw a wrench into the mix. Not that I haven't in the past. I've certainly, probably the biggest mistakes I've made is too quickly and not thoroughly implementing new tools into the stack. You toss something in there, you think everyone will embrace it and adopt it very quickly. Next thing you know, no one knows how to use it, what it's for, why we're even doing it. And you can create not only waste money and waste time and implementation, but you can also create fatigue around the stack. You mentioned balancing sales and marketing, and now that you report to finance, how you balance that is is probably a very different type of relationship. Any other pieces of advice or lessons on how to balance? For a lot of people, it's the three-headed 
hydra of sales, marketing, and CS, but in your case, balancing sales and marketing demand for, for getting a little piece of only in the team? We've been fortunate. We've been able to assign specific individuals to each one of the functions and make sure that everybody is getting some of our focus. Now, at certain times of the year, like we just came through the end of the year, and right now, a lot of RevOps teams are building the compensation plans for the organization. That tends to be extremely cycle-consuming. Also, budget planning and demand planning, growth planning, and target setting for the organization is very consuming. And so at certain times of the year, we just know that we can't be as responsive to the go-to-market functions as we'd like to be. But we do try to contain those areas so that once all the budget planning and we're well into the new fiscal year, we could go back and put our focus where it needs to be with the go-to-market functions. All right, let's get into our next segment, the tool shed. Hey, hey Brandon, Michael, want to do me and mom a favor, get off that shed? This is my favorite place, <laughs> the tool shed. Get off the shed! Where we're talking tools, spreadsheets, metrics, just like everyone's favorite tool, Qualified. No B2B tool shed is complete without Qualified. Go to qualified.com right now and check them out. Every single tool shed needs Qualified. Go to qualified.com and learn more. We love them dearly. They're the absolute best. Go to qualified.com. If only what's in your tool shed? Pretty much everything. <laughs> We've got pretty much everything. If it's especially in the marketing stack, in the sales stack where we've got Gong, we've got everything we can put together to help sales teams. I mentioned Boost Up, which is our new forecasting tool. Clary is very popular and it's a great tool. It's very powerful. I found this one to be a little bit more lightweight, easier to implement and easier to get the sales leaders to adopt. Right now, it's been transformational in terms of our transparency and our visibility into our pipe. We're able to forecast quite accurately by the end of the first month of the of each quarter based on the changes that we've made. I'm not saying that BoostUp's the only tool that can do that, but I am saying that putting the right methodology in is worth every penny. And a couple comments about that. It's funny. I've seen, I know myself, I've worked for a sales leader once who, as we were implementing forecasting software, he asked me to build a spreadsheet that he could use in the meantime. And the trouble is people get so enamored with their spreadsheets that they can't let them go, even when they've got a great platform that can replace it for them. And I think if the forecasting tools are facing any headwinds, it's simply that because a lot of RevOps people built their careers on their ability to build spreadsheets that, that sales leaders can use for certainty in their and to de-risk their pipelines. So I um, find that pretty interesting. And I also noticed now one of the things that's been great for us is, and we're a little behind the curve on this, but we just recently, I would say within the last six months, have gotten pretty good with Power BI and have been able to shift a lot of the organization away from Salesforce reports and really look at it in a more dynamic way through Power BI. I mean, most people react to it in a very positive way, cling to what they know, and uh, they kind of stick with their spreadsheets and stick with their Salesforce reports. And we have to get out of the business of saying yes to the people that are always asking for a new report or a new dashboard and trying to point them to Power BI, which is just so much more powerful. Yeah, can you explain for our listeners who don't know about Power BI? Because that, that was a, an interesting point there. Because I think most people don't have the your credibility to say, hey, we're just, I know that you want another report or another spreadsheet, but like, no. Yeah. And so Power BI, if it's not clear, is most people have probably heard of Tableau. It's very simple. It's a visualization 
that sits on top of multiple data sources and able to combine data, data from across multiple systems and visualize them very clearly. Yeah, I would say that saying no to people that are used to coming, first of all, as a RevOps team, I define us as we're a service organization. People should be willing, should feel comfortable coming to us to make requests. And there's a point earlier on in maybe the development of the company where there's a tendency to want to say yes to everybody. You train everybody to come to you to build dashboards and people get very dependent on it. And so to make that pivot away is not very easy. And not only are you not giving them what they're asking for, you're potentially creating the perception that you're not the service organization you used to be. Fortunately, though, if you've got a visualization tool that like Power BI or Tableau, that can show them the greater, the, the more power that you can offer and the more flexibility people you can come around. You know, saying no, you have to learn how to do carefully sometimes. What metrics matter to you? It's all about pipe creation for us. We put a lot of energy and focus and money into building pipe and there's never enough. We've asked our sales reps to get more ambitious about creating their own pipeline. It's known across all my peers that AE-generated opportunities close at a higher rate than SDR-generated opportunities. But that muscle tends to weaken when you've got a whole organization that's building pipeline for you. It's hard work. It's You put a lot of effort into it. It seems like not to return. Plus, you can say, well, I'm a closing resource, not a sourcing resource. I'm paid to be a closer, not a sourcer. But Pipe creation is everything for us, and quality pipe is also important to us. So getting the organization pivoted around building pipe. I've worked in organizations before where the SDR team was just flawless. They were incredibly efficient. They were generating seven meetings per week, and that turned into quality pipe that we were able to convert in a very efficient way. And when you get that machine working, it's just a thing of beauty. That's where we're putting a lot of our focus. The other areas, of course, is win rate. Right now, our our win rates, sadly, even though we don't lose competitors, are really quite low. And it's largely because we're an emerging technology. And I think a lot of people in the tech space are emerging technology. So a lot of people will resonate with what I'm saying. You tend to lose mostly to do nothing. And so maybe they come around a year later when they've thought about you and got more people interested and maybe have a budget line item. But anything that we can do to increase our win rates massively helps our all of our CAC calculations. We get so much more out of the the resources that we put in place if we can if we could double our win rate, it would it would tremendously change the dimension that we're working with. So, we put a lot of focus on it, but it's not just win rate. And I know there's a term that I'm sure most people are familiar with, that sales velocity. Because you look at pipe creation, you look at win rate, but you also look at your average sales price and you divide all that by the sales cycle length and you get a value that's very telling. Because each of those values in the numerator, if you improve them, your velocity number improves. And if you can shorten the denominator, the sales cycle length, the velocity improves. So those are four critical elements that you can measure very easily. And you can see the impact of making changes in any of them. And you can measure across sales teams, you can measure across regions, and you can even even measure the velocity of individual sales reps. So I found it to be a very powerful tool because it combines a lot of the key SaaS metrics that we all focus on. Yeah, can you just say it again real quick for the listeners that missed it? Yeah. Sure. So velocity is a value, and it doesn't matter what the value is. You just care if it goes up or down. So it's the leads in your pipe. 
So whatever the size of the pipe is for that region or that person times the average sales price, ASP, times the win rate, your close rate or win rate, depending on which one you want to measure. So those three variables multiplied, divided by your sales cycle length, and you will get a dollar value. And once you establish a baseline of that value, as those variables in the numerator and the denominator improve, your velocity number will improve. Once again, it takes a few quarters to get a baseline that you can compare against and know what it's telling you. But once you've done it and you've done the work to be able to access that number, it's a very powerful metric. Awesome. I love it. Check out your sales velocity. What about some blind spots? What do you wish you could measure better? What do you wish you had some metrics for? Oh, really what I wish I could measure is is really the sales activity and across the team and how consistent we're being or how inconsistent we're being. I don't yet have a mechanism to do that. I can listen to gong calls and I can get some I can get some evidence of certain things, but I can't tell you with precision where we're losing ground, where we're failing to drive momentum. I think momentum is a critical element of enterprise sales. And when your company is run on a quarterly basis, there tends to be, I don't know, there's that dead spot in the middle of the quarter where things just don't happen and then they accelerate. So I think momentum is tremendous. We've got MedPick, which is an incredibly powerful qualification tool that if used correctly and effectively is very, very telling. But we haven't fully embraced the concepts even though some of the salespeople are operating along the MedPick lines, we're not necessarily capturing that information in Salesforce, and therefore I can't come to any conclusions about it. So back to what I said about Salesforce hygiene, a lot of the blind spots I have are simply because I'm used to having greater data hygiene in Salesforce. And it sounds too that when you have a seasonality of a product, like we have this with Caspian, where it's most people want to start a new podcast or video series at the beginning of the year, or, hey, let's at least get something in market at the end of Q1 or beginning of 2Q. Then you have the summer lull. And then it's like a bunch of people want to start in August, September after summer. We want to hit that Q4 and have that. So we have some definite seasonality for our customers. And sometimes it feels like all the pushing in the world, all the discounts in the world are never going to solve the seasonality of that's just not when they buy. I'm just curious how you think about that. I completely agree with you. The artificial constraint of a given quarter, whether you're on a fiscal or a calendar year, your quarter ends doesn't mean anything to your customers. And if anything, they're probably using that against you. Yeah, I know. Um, I ignore it. That's what I do. I just yeah. ignore it. If the nature of your product doesn't lend itself to compelling events, which I think all of us would like to think that we had compelling events that we could just attach to and have the problem to solve, failing an obvious compelling event and dealing with seasonality that you can't avoid. To me, once again, it's about momentum. The reps that sell to me are extremely good at understanding that I, besides their software solution, I've got a lot of other stuff I'm actually responsible for, not yeah. just helping them sell more software. And they're really good at understanding that and making sure that I don't lose focus in a compelling way that doesn't irritate me, but is helping me along this journey that we said we were trying to accomplish together. And I just think it takes relentless focus. And I also think it takes, it takes, this is going to sound funny, but I think a lot of selling is just doing the blocking and tackling, which is following up when you said you're going to follow up, add value every single time you engage, which is to say you've not just 
taking notes, but you turn them into insights that the customer can use. If you're building an ROI case that's compelling and you're attaching to a large problem, that you can get more people involved than just a single champion. If you're working really hard to do those things and you have truly developed a champion, as we all know, if we have a champion who wants us to win, they will work really hard to make you both successful. And I think oftentimes we refer to people that are friendly and responsive as champions and they may not be true champions. So I think it's about being relentless in a respectful way and driving momentum and not allowing the rest of the customer's difficult world to derail their focus. And I think that's all about blocking and tackling and sales execution. And I think it's a, a bit of a lost art, to be honest, in some of the sales organizations that I've seen. Yeah, I would agree with all that stuff. And I think it's a really important thing for a RevOps person to know right now, particularly because one of the things I just did a bunch of predictions for 2023, because why not? But one of the things that I think is a focus is like fight harder to win deals. And like, I would challenge the sales organization to say like, are you really fighting as hard as you possibly can to win deals? And not fighting hard as in sending more annoying emails to your point is, are you leaving space for things to, to happen? Are you creating more assets or are you creating more more tools or better ROI calculations or getting them in touch with more customers that they can talk to or doing all those sort of things, getting them on your company podcast, doing the things like that, that can accelerate the relationship and be like, no, trust me, they will have our back no matter what. And I think that's like a key part for going forward and RevOps like can help the sales and marketing teams with that. Yeah, and fall back on challenger sale concepts really sure. clearly here. I remember a time when I was trying to replace a data source, a data platform inside a company. And and I know that leadership wanted me to not increase the cost, just get better tools, better quality. And so I was just driven by this belief that anything that was going to increase cost was just unacceptable and un, just not possible. And the sales rep did a great job of recognizing that that's how I was struggling. But he he pushed me pretty hard. He said, how can you allow a decision this big to be driven by that one variable? He needed to get me to think beyond the, oh, I've just got to solve for this requirement that I don't spend any more money. The reality is building pipeline and the quality of the data in that pipeline was an important enough problem to rethink the spend and the strategy. And he got me to think differently about how I approached the CEO and the sales leader about how we should fund this problem. And I wouldn't have done that if the rep didn't grab me by the lapels and kind of shake me a little bit. I would add one thing to this, to that conversation is, when we talk about the stuff that you just said, the people who are not in the room or the people who are signing off on the checks or whatever are the people that really need to be influenced. And that's where maybe the RevOps person needs to go to the marketing org and say, hey, do we have any campaigns that are targeting the bosses of this stuff? I know they're three clicks above this and they're going to think about this problem for five minutes when they see that PO come across their desk. But do we have any type of coverage here? And the other thing I would add to that too is if your business doesn't really have seasonality, but your customers have seasonality because they need to hit their quarters, which is, hey, if you want to hit Q4, you know, like for us, it's if you want to, for a podcast series, hey, I know you don't want to start a podcast in, in the middle of summer, but it takes 60 days to get one live and 30 more days to get it into market and get to ROI. If you want to crush Q4, 
like we should start this thing in June. That's just how the math looks, for example, for us. And so there is like pushing to that seasonality. And like, that is the language that the senior leader understands is I don't want to miss Q4. No, I agree. And I just think that in addition to that air cover, the the confidence and the maturity of the sales organization to understand that they need to take control of the sales process as much as the customer might want to prevent that. And I, when I look at the activity traffic and the email traffic and all the ins and outs of the typical deals, especially deals that slip, it's clear to me that we have allowed the customer to control the entire process. And we have got to have the confidence and the willingness to sometimes push through what can be some resistance and just some just people distracted by other problems, other things. But I just, I find that that willingness to drive momentum in a respectful way is is critical. And the other thing I think I've seen so many times is, especially in enterprise deals, is deals that slip because of just what you and I talked about, which is customers don't care about the quarter end. Their legal and procurement process is what it is, and we can't generally influence it. All we can do is understand it and get out in front of it. And I know I'm a bit of a broken record on this topic, but all those years ago when I worked at Salesforce, I think the most powerful tool that we used so consistently was the mutual action plan. If you actually have a working document with a champion, with a timeline and a schedule and a go-live date, not the close date, but a go-live date, and how how are we going to get there? rigorously challenging every assumption in that mutual plan so that when we ask the champion, how long does your legal process take? And they say, oh, it's probably going to be three days. Let's triangulate that. Let's find out if it's two weeks because it probably is. And deals that have a working mutual plan are the deals that aren't the ones that surprise you by slipping at the end of the period. Yeah. The legal review definitely will take longer than three days, that's for sure. Obviously, you're super passionate about salespeople and about SDRs and all of that. I'm curious, what have you been doing? What are you working on in the SDR world? And how are you supporting those folks? Because I know you're doing a lot. I have seen SDR organizations that are skilled discovery weapons. They could ask, they could take you through the Sandler pain funnel from the application layer to the business impact to the personal impact. And they're not afraid to do it. They're good at it. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of sales organizations that think, now nah, they're just, they're there to ask bank questions and, and quickly introduce this prospect to an AE. And I have found that the SDRs that, that get good at discovery are the ones that turn into excellent salespeople and really hit the ground running. Plus, we have higher quality pipe in the meantime. Investing in the skills of the SDRs and the discovery skills of the SDRs, I think, is huge. I think it's personally, I think it's a really tough time to be an SDR. And I think that a lot of companies lose a ton of deals because of SDRs. I just think, I know for me personally, for my friends who are executives, like if they fill out a lead form or if they come to your website and they want to talk to somebody right now and they get put on someone who's 22 years old or whatever, it's just, it is a struggle. And that's just a lot of times not who a senior leader wants to talk to. So There has to be some sort of, like you said, I mean, it's so important. There has to be some sort of really sharp formal training Whether those folks live in marketing or sales or wherever they live. There has to be some sort of really sharp stuff that you're doing because I think you can just personally, I think you can burn a lot of burn a lot of goodwill. You can. And I'll acknowledge I've had a lot of really bad conversations with SDRs in the past, but I have occasionally come across really good ones. And I tell you, I'm so impressed when I come across an SDR that has a grasp of the opportunity and knows how to talk and knows how to ask a good question, 
get an answer back and then do something with that answer instead of just going to the next question. And they don't have to have the, all the business acumen in the world if they're comfortable and they understand how to ask questions and how to deal with the answers in a smooth way. And if, a, if an SDR will give, can do that for me, I will make their life so much easier. I will play the part of a prospect, an interested prospect, <laughs> give them what they're looking for. And I get excited because I'm happy because it looks like this is a sales per- This is a person who's going to turn into a great salesperson someday. I love it. All right. Let's get to our final segment, Quick Hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. If you could make any animal any size, what animal would it be and what size would it be? Dog. I guess even bigger dogs, I think, would be pretty cool because dogs are generally friendly and not terrifying. So they could be as large and as powerful as wolves, but not as dangerous. Huge dog. I love it. It's a great answer. Any uh, RevOps misconception you want to clear up? Uh, we've talked about some of it. I think the idea that we're just there to keep the lights on and keep the sales machine moving and be the report monkeys, I think that one needs to go away as RevOps evolves and we deliver more value and insight to the organization. If someone was to play you in the movie of your life, who are you selecting for the actor? Oh, man, Matt Damon. But he can't buy a zoo or he can, in fact, buy a zoo? You could buy a zoo. I would probably actually do that. That's really funny that you bring that up. Yeah. Yeah, Matt Damon. More for the Jason Bourne character than for the <laughs> buying a zoo character. But sure. Yeah. Sure. Best advice for someone who's newly leading a RevOps team? Most people will be under-resourced, probably. They won't be fortunate to have the... And I'm not saying I've got tons of resources, but I do have enough people to focus on each go-to-market function. I would say don't let your people get silent. A person who's a great admin may want to have nothing to do with sales compensation, but the fact is if they don't go down that path, it will be very limiting for them. And if they want to grow as a RevOps person, they have to have as broad a portfolio as they possibly can. So allow the team members to share responsibilities. Another example is don't allow somebody to become an expert at reporting and have that be what they do. It's great to have that capability, but try to build a way to spread that capability across the rest of the team so that you've got a bunch of generalists and not people that are focused one area. And then you're in trouble when any of them take vacation or leave. This has been absolutely wonderful having you on the show, Volney. I took a ton of notes. We'll link them up in the show notes here. Thanks so much for sharing all this stuff. And then for our listeners, go to templify.com, especially if you're in marketing and sales, branding, comms, HR, IT. Everybody needs Templify. Go to templify.com. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Yeah, and a couple shout outs. First of all, anybody listening to this is probably familiar with Modern Sales Pros. It's an online community that has a great signal to noise ratio. And the operators of that site are relentless about not allowing vendors to come in and pitch their products every time someone like me asks a question. So it makes a great flow of information. Sometimes it's very technical. Sometimes it's very high level and conceptual. It's great. I think if you're early in your career, you'll learn so much just by seeing the questions and answers that may or may not apply to your own world, but it's a tremendous resource for any ops professional. 
Another one that I would love to point out, if I might, which is an entity called Sassy Sales Management. This is run by Matt Cameron, and it's a bunch of classes for sales professionals that assume that you have made a transition. Let's say you're a sales rep who's become a manager. That's the classic example of we give people no experience in how to be a manager when they're in the early in the sales leadership careers. I, in fact, support Matt with a class for RevOps people who are early in their career. They've just joined RevOps and they want to figure out how can I grow in my career and not get pigeonholed. Those are two entities that I feel really strongly about and would just love to be able to give a shout out to them. Awesome. And we'll link them up uh, here in the show notes. Phony, thanks again. We really appreciate it and take care. Likewise, Ian. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Rise of RevOps. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you're listening. This podcast was created by the team at Qualified. The Pipeline Cloud is the modern way B2B revenue teams generate pipeline. Learn more at qualified.com.